Well, good morning. Very thankful to have you listening in, looking in with your family and those people that are with you in your home. We're thankful again for the technology that allows us to do this in the midst of the crisis that we're in. And certainly we're all trying to walk this thing out as best as we can with our eyes on the Lord and, and uh, continuing to trust that he is the one who has allowed this. And so the things that he's doing are not in spite of it, but because of it. And that way we trust the Lord. We love the Lord. He is good. Certainly he is very good. And so this morning, as we get in the Word, I have the privilege of introducing my good friend, John Martin, his wife, Wendy. We've known them since before they were even married, and they went on to the mission field for about 15 years or so through New Tribes Missions in Panama. They came on staff here about 14 years ago, and John oversees our outreach, and he does a fabulous job with that. He's tremendous at connecting with different different uh, groups and different people. So he's done a fantastic job for us in the area of outreach. He also is overseeing our connections, uh, the, all the connecting that needs to take place. And so, we are so I'm so thankful for him. I'm thankful for our friendship. We've known each other a long time and uh, our families have grown up together. So here's another, uh, another godly man that loves the Lord, loves his word, loves his family, and does a tremendous job of being an example of who Jesus Christ is and how we're to treat and love one another. So uh, John, would you come and bring us the word this morning? Well, thanks for joining us this morning as we get into James chapter 4. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Wendy and I and our family were sitting home watching the service, just like you're watching it now. And just as the service started, Wendy had made cinnamon rolls, and they came out of the oven. And so just as we began to get into the Word, the butter was melting into the sugar glaze, into that gooey sort of central part of the cinnamon roll. And I thought, you know, there's some things about doing church online that are good, but really... I can't wait until we can get back into being together as a family. One of the things I really miss is just being able to hang out in the lobby, do worship together, and be together as a family. So I know that will be coming. If you have your Bibles and you want to open up to James chapter 4. Last week, Paul shared on the first part of the chapter about being peacemakers and did a great job talking about how the battle is within. This morning, I want to start with verse 13 in James chapter 4 and if you look at this chapter, it just seems to describe what's gone on with us with the pandemic. So James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. Pray with me, would you, as we begin our time. Father, I, I pray that as we look into your word and we try to align our lives with you as we, as we read through your word and we, we have this time together, Lord, help us to really say in our hearts, whatever your will is, we want to have it happen in our lives. Help us to yield to whatever changes, whatever flexibility you want in our lives. And Lord, we pray that you'd minister to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. This, this passage, uh, a few years ago, quite a few years ago, I had a friend that took this passage and he used to sort of, 
He used to sort of say, whenever someone would say something like, hey, I'm going to go to Green Lake, he would correct us and he would say, you didn't say, if the Lord wills. And it started out, it, was, it wasn't really funny actually when it started out, but he thought it was funny. And then the more he did it, the more I think we just sort of looked at him like, I don't think he knows what this passage is talking about. It can't be that this passage is saying we just want to add on to the end of whatever our plans are, if the Lord wills. It has to be a heart attitude that we would gladly change our plans if God wanted us to. And that we want God at the center of any of our planning. The best way to plan for life's unpredictable stuff is to submit our plans to God and tell him, God, my plans are tentative. Have your way in my life. The challenge is that some of us make our plans and there's this window where we're sort of firming up. We say we're firming up our plans. And sometimes it's like this window when we are firming up our plans that God can change or or add, and then once we firm up our plan, sometimes it's like, that's what we're going to do, and God's not going to change it. Jesus was a, a, a model in responding to this kind of attitude. In Matthew 26, verse 39, when he, when he went a little farther, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 14 says, whereas, in going back to James, verse 14 says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. There's a, there's a place when I drive to work where the fog forms in this little dip in the road. And I know where the fog is going to form. I even know some of the, the weather conditions when there's probably going to be fog. But it seems like each time I drive through that little patch of fog, I'm surprised by it. Because fog by nature, vapor by nature, is unpredictable. And that's how life is. We have a sudden health issue. There's unexpected layoffs at work. There's a sudden drama in our life. And then we need God desperately to help us through this unpredictable time. Verse 14 says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. We all want to boast. We all want to, when we're talking about our plans, we all want to make it sound like we have this great thing that we're going to do. And we're kind of faced with a choice to either highlight what I did or what I'm going to do or my wisdom or my plan or we have, we have the opportunity to highlight God's grace and what he's did and how he helped us. The definition of arrogance is an offensive display of superiority or self-importance. When we leave God out of our plans, it can be a subtle statement that we think our plans are superior to God's plans. Verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. I must have read this last verse because it says the word therefore. I must have read this last verse 20 times trying to figure out how it's connected to the rest of the, of the passage. 
easily we see it as a, it's a warning, it's a clarifying that sin isn't just things that we do. Sin can be things that we omit or that we don't do. But how does it relate to the passage? I read, I read a bunch of commentaries, and the last commentary I read, Moffat, said this, and I thought it was excellent. We shouldn't let the uncertainty of life make us passive or inactive. We shouldn't let the uncertainty of life make us passive or inactive. All the uncertainty has caused some of us to sort of freeze and not know what to do in the last weeks. Um, Bill and Julie, who do the community meal, the very first week after, the, after, after the whole thing started, they tried to decide what to do as far as the community meal. The most vulnerable people that are around us, and they decided to just hand out a, hand out a, a box lunch and I was sort of frozen and not knowing, can we do that? Can't we do that? We later found out through the city of Kent, that's perfectly all right to do that. But we shouldn't let uncertainty of life make us passive or inactive. So before I, I turn on to the next passage that we're going to look at, the first part of the verse is talking about planning. And some of us like to plan. Some of us like to be sort of spontaneous and really don't like to plan. James isn't talking about whether we should or shouldn't make detailed plans. What he's talking about is that our plans need to be submitted to God. Wendy and I, when we first got married, we planned, we planned our wedding. We planned our honeymoon. We planned how many kids we were going to have. We planned when we were going to start our family. And then in between our first and our second child, we had a miscarriage. And I think there was a point of absolute clarity, maybe doctrinal maturity, where we realized... There are, there are many things. In fact, there's hardly anything that we have complete control over of our lives. Proverbs 19.21, in the way that only Proverbs can do it, takes everything we've been talking about and puts it into one short sentence. Proverbs 19.21 says, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. So originally I looked at this passage because I was thinking about... Um, you know, people that are struggling right now with job insecurity. There's been so much going on in that area. And I, I started to look at this passage because it talks about unpredictability. It talks about insecurity. And I really want to talk a little bit today about insecurity and five reasons to be encouraged when we face insecurity. Um, job insecurity is something that is a little bit different than other, other things. In the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, Will Smith plays a, a dad who has a young son, actually it's played by his real son. And in the movie, he's, he's trying everything he can to be able to get a job and take care of his family. He ends up sleeping on the subway. And we identify with that. We identify with the, the fear of wanting to, of feeling like we need to provide for our family. We identify with the, the idea that some of us in our jobs, we, our job and identity are so intertwined that we hardly can separate between our job and our identity. I read about job insecurity. It said 70% of workers who experience job insecurity struggle with nervousness, overeating, undereating, recurring nightmares, memory issues, poor judgment. Basically, they feel exhausted and that they're not themselves. My hope this morning is that we can look at some verses that will encourage us when we're facing or dealing with insecurity, not just job insecurity, but insecurity in general. So I want to start with a definition of insecurity that I read. Um, I didn't like the definition because in it, we see ourselves. To be human 
is to feel insecurity. The definition is this. A feeling of general unease or nervousness that may be triggered by perceiving oneself to be vulnerable or inferior in some way or a sense of instability or inferiority that threatens one's self-image. If you shorten it, it's a nervousness about our self-image. And I mean, honestly, if you think about all the Zoom meetings we've been in over the last few weeks, I don't know about you, but I can only take so much sitting hour after hour and staring at myself on a live video feed. And in a sense, it's been good because it's almost been sort of kind of taking the sting away because you go, yeah, that's what I really look like and it's not going to get any better. And we just sort of relax. But this nervousness about our self-image in the scriptures, there is a fundamental basic of Christianity that answers the question of insecurity as straightforward as you can find. It's in John chapter 3 and verse 29 and 30. John the Baptist said, we must decrease. You know, it does, it's not easy to do. It's not easy that that's going to help us easily get over our insecurities. But that's the answer. We must decrease. If you look at the context of John, uh, the last part of verse 29, uh, John is saying that Jesus is the bridegroom. He's the important one in this event. I'm just a friend of the bridegroom. And listen to what he says before he says we must decrease. Verse 29, he says, Therefore, This joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase and I must decrease. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. There is an absolute liberating, joy-creating freedom in saying there's one thing we need to do. We need to decrease. Interestingly, the context is John's disciples were coming up to him and I don't know if they were like a little bit like, we have a problem here, John. And then, we need to tell you there's, there's a problem, and it might be serious, but it used to be that everybody was coming to you to get baptized. Now everybody's going to Jesus to get baptized. And John's like, that's exactly what we're supposed to do. Basic Christianity, basic walk with God 101, we're not trying to fix up our old man and make our self-image better. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We aren't supposed to fix up the old man. So how do we we decrease? I, I looked at two things. One, as we draw near to Jesus, it's just like when you have a friend that you respect highly and you hang with him and you defer to him naturally. As we hang out with Jesus and draw near to Jesus, there's going to be a desire for us to decrease and for him to increase. I think the other thing that's helped me a lot is sometimes I think we need to verbalize when we're praying and talking to God and tell God, I'm on board. This project, John, decrease, I'm on board with it. God, I think it's a good idea. If you, whatever you need to do, whatever it is that's going to help me to decrease, I'm on board with it, Lord. I, I, I want you to do it. I know it's going to be hard, but I want you to do it. So five reasons to be encouraged when you feel insecure. Number one, our security's not in our plans. We talked about that. They're not in our plans, that we have good plans, that our plans are fulfilled. It's that we have submitted our plans to God. Security's not 
in us becoming more, all we need to do is decrease. That's number two. And number three, I think, is probably the most difficult, and I think probably one of the most, as I was doing this study, it was the one that impacted me most. We're not secure because we produce. We're not secure because we produce. Everything about our culture is about producing. I mean, I, I think of the word mass production. If producing is good, mass production has to be awesome. And if we're not producing, there's a degree of feeling insecure. If we're working from home and we're not feeling like we're producing, I'll tell you one thing that we have produced I know I have produced from home and that is there's more garbage coming out of my household right now than there has ever been in the life. As we're all home, we're producing that, but sometimes our health limits our ability to produce. The problem is that when we focus on producing, we don't receive first from God, we become exhausted. It's absolutely exhausting because God created us that we'd receive first from him. I'm gonna read a, a little bit of a passage in John, John chapter one. Uh, starting in verse 12. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I know that's a lot of verses and it's packed, but it's an interesting passage because it's the best place I can think of to take someone who's ready to make the next step, the first step in their faith, to as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believed in his name. It's also one of the best places to take someone who's asking you, why why is there such an emphasis on the scriptures, on the Bible? Here we have the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What more emphasis could we want for the word of God? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. But it's hard, it's hard to receive. It's hard to not start producing, to receive first and not start going right into producing. Our relationship with God is sustained. It's begun by receiving and it's sustained by receiving. Verse 16 says, and of his fullness. The world gives skimpy, skimpy portions. This says, of God's fullness, we've all received grace for grace. This idea of God's grace that comes over us like a wave And we receive it. And before it's completely gone out, we're still being blessed by the wave of God's grace. There's another wave that comes on top of it. And there's another wave. There's an unending amount of grace that God wants to pour into our life and create in us the ability, the stability in what he pours into our life. It's like a receiver in in football who, we're like a receiver in football sometimes. We're so ready to produce that we forget to receive from God. The receiver, sometimes there's a pass that's just lobbed. I could catch it. And the receiver drops it because he's thinking about producing. I read one thing about what what instructions do they give a receiver when it comes to the ball securing it. It said the player is instructed to secure the ball high and tight, press close to the breastplate 
Securely grip the top half and keep the elbow in tight so no one can pop it out. When we receive the unconditional love of God, the world will try to pry that free from us because that love is the power that sets us free from insecurity and transforms us into people who can live a life that really is a life that that believes it's better to give than receive. So I thought of three examples. There's a ton in scripture about we need to receive first before we start producing. Mary and Martha. Martha's producing in the kitchen, cleaning, getting things ready. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his word. And Jesus said in Luke 10, 42, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part that will not be taken from her. And then in the story of the feeding of the 4,000, a little bit different than the miracle of feeding of the 5,000, the disciples didn't produce the food. The disciples didn't go take an extra job and produce the food. It says in, in Luke or Matthew 15, 36, and he took the seven loaves, talking about Jesus, and the fish, and he gave thanks, and he broke them, and he gave them to his disciples, and his disciples then gave them to others. They received from him, and then they were able to give to others. And then lastly, we have the example of the thief on the cross. Lived a life, a morally unstraight life, and died on the cross and produced nothing. Spiritually, there's nothing that he produced. He, he died on the, he's on the cross, and this is his profession of faith. He looked at Jesus and he said, man, I recognize that I deserve to be on this cross, but you don't. And here's Jesus' response. Here's the idea of receive from God first. That's all this guy did was receive. Jesus said in Luke 23, 43, and Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. This guy received Jesus and then received paradise. And that was the only thing he did. He was unable to produce. I love productivity. I love productivity. I love looking at in Exodus, seeing Moses going in and Moses himself setting up all the poles in the tabernacle and producing and work being done. But man, our security is not in what we produce. Our security is not in our plans. All we need to do is decrease. Our security is not in what we produce. And number four, discerning God's voice is critical when we're vulnerable. Discerning God's voice is critical when we're vulnerable. If you're dealing with anxiety, if you're dealing with insecurity, if there is something going on today, discerning God's voice is critical. God is a father. His voice is one that no matter what you've done today, no matter the failure in your life, he's on your side. He's wanting you to get, get things figured out and get help. He's wanting you to be healed. The Holy Spirit, the voice of the Holy Spirit, that conviction that there's something specific in our life that we need to get figured out, that we need to repent about, turn around, and go the different direction. There's a specificness to it. There's this invitation to repentance, and then there's this wave after wave of God's grace and forgiveness when we, when we repent and turn away from that. That's God's voice. And we need, to, we need to discern that voice when there's insecurity. 
when there's anxiety. The voice of the enemy often includes shame, often includes condemnation, often is a vague sense, not so much that you've done something that needs to get righted or, or fixed, but that you are something that needs to get fixed. The difference between the two voices is one is, hey, you've done something that's wrong or you've done something that I want to encourage you in. I want to help you. I'm your father. The other voice is, is you're, you're a person that's, that's messed up. You're messed up. No one would want to hang with you. No one would want to hire you. It's, if you're dealing with anxiety today, you need to be able to discern God's voice. And I think there's two ways to do that. Obviously, we just talked about the word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you want to hear Jesus' voice, look at the scriptures. Be so immersed in the scriptures that you recognize his voice instantly because you're immersed in the scriptures. And secondly, get good counsel. Our new website has, or our website has a new page on it for COVID response, has two buttons, get help, give help. Click the get help button and say, hey, I'd like somebody to pray with me or to get counsel. So five reasons to be encouraged when we feel insecure. Number one, our security's not in our plans. Number two, all we need to do is decrease. Number three, our security is not in what we produce. Number four, it's critical that we discern God's voice. And lastly, shaking can be a good thing. Shaking can be a good thing. Not usually a good thing, right? I wanted to shake my phone the other day. I was trying to catch the Wednesday night study on Revelation. And I was on my phone and I was pushing buttons and I was having a hard time getting it li lined up. And somehow I started, a, uh, I started a, a Facebook live feed. And my phone was held over my legs. I had my shorts on and so I'm videotaping my legs on a live feed on Facebook and people are starting to jump on saying, John, what are you doing? I wanted to shake my phone and throw it out the window. Shaking is not usually a good thing. But here's the deal. Sometimes the very thing that causes the insecurity, a recent failure, a job stress, can be the thing that moves us to a better place if we respond to God and align with God's purpose. We may see areas that we can become more professional in our jobs. We talked a little bit about job insecurity. Maybe there's some areas where we can see that. We can see we need to be more professional in that area. And oftentimes when we make those changes, that, that flows over into our family. And the shaking turns out to be not such a bad thing. When I was a kid, we'd inevitably get the frisbee caught in a tree. And we'd try to find a stick long enough to get the frisbee down. If we couldn't do that, we'd throw rocks at it. Try to, if we couldn't climb the tree, there was always one resort. There was always one thing that was the last resort to shake the tree. Find the branch that the frisbee's lodged in and shake the tree. I was looking at Jeremiah 29 11, which 11 is a familiar verse. 12 and 13 are things that I thought if God shakes us through this whole thing we're going through and we fall into a place like Jeremiah 29, 11, 12, and 13, wouldn't that be cool? Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. If God's shaking us and we're falling into a place like that where we're coming to him in prayer, 
We're dedicating our plans to him. We're seeking after him with all of our hearts. Man, wouldn't that be awesome if that's the result of being shaken? But I know it's a hard, I know it's a painful process. I know shaking is painful. I've, I've been reading or listening to an app that has different voices reading the scripture and then it's got instruments playing in the background. And I finished through Exodus, just sort of had it in the background. It was sort of a peaceful, started talking about the garments for the priests and all the details. There's a lot of details in there. But one thing struck me is it talked about they would take gold and they would pound it and hammer it and crush it and squish it and keep pounding it until it was pounded flat like a leaf, like a gold leaf. Then they'd cut it into long strips, cutting it up and changing its whole foundation. And then they'd take those strips that had been beaten and pounded flat and they'd weave them into the holy garments. Exodus 39.3 says, And they beat the gold into thin sheets and they cut it into threads to work it in with the blue and purple and scarlet thread and, and fine linen into artistic designs. Man, if God wants to do that in our lives, we should be so blessed that if there's a shaking and there's a changing and a, and a pushing and a, that beating process of being flattened and formed, if God wants to do that, whatever shakes, God does not shake. Even in the worst case scenario, if the worst thing happened to us, and this whole job thing, that's, I know that's terrifying for some. And rightly so. But if the worst thing happened, God's still on the throne. Psalm 76, 75, 6 says, this is talking specifically about job security. For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge and he puts down one and exalts another. So the five reasons to be encouraged when you feel insecure. Number one, our security is not in our plans. That we have good plans or that things went according to our plan. Our security, all we need to do is decrease. Number three, our security is not in what we produce. Number four, it's critical that we discern God's voice. And number five, shaking isn't always a bad thing. Let me read Psalms 1, the first few verses of Psalm 1, and then close in prayer. Psalm 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for... Uh, so many things out of, out of your word, Lord. The wave after wave of you wanting to bless us and God, you know what the deepest need of our heart is. When it comes to insecurity, sometimes we want to help each other. We want to help people that are going through difficult times. We don't know what they need. Lord, you know the deepest, most essential thing at the core of our being that we need And you've instructed us through your scriptures that we need to receive from you so that we can be people who really believe that it's better to give than receive. I pray your blessing on our our church. And Lord, I thank you for everyone that's had an opportunity to, um, to come together.
to be together now in your word. Lord, I pray you bless it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.